This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of a podcast this week is Goresh Agarwal, co-founder and CEO of Sybil. If we are able to quantify and track these behaviors, humans can actually level up their conversation. Like they can get signals about their audience's mental state during the call. They can improve their own presentation and their own pitch to effectively take the audience from that point A to point B, which is the objective for most conversations. For instance, like if sales reps could understand that the prospect is disengaged during the most important section, during the most core offering, they could actually disqualify that call, that prospect far earlier. This is Gorish. He's a self-made tech entrepreneur obsessed with solving hard problems. Throughout his career, he worked as a senior software engineer in the healthcare research team of Samsung Advanced Institute of Technology. He's an electrical engineer graduate from the IIT in Delphi and specializes in the field of machine learning and signal processing for neural and biochemical applications. He loves working on projects where he can address the real-world challenges of today and have the potential to create meaningful impact in the lives of people. Today, he's the co-founder and CEO of Sybil. The big idea behind Sybil stems from his time lecturing at Stanford in the summer of 2020. That's where he first-hand faced the problem of gauging student engagement and sentiment in video calls. He decided to solve this problem for us and for the world. Sybil is on a mission to introduce a new era in meeting intelligence, going beyond transcription and keyword searches and servicing the aha moments and buying intent of your prospects. And that inspired me, and hence I invited Gorish to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the way we leverage the value of video calls. Gorich then shares his vision how we can give sales a competitive advantage by augmenting them with insights about the invisible behavior that their customers behave when they meet online. We dig into the big learnings and tough decisions that needed to be made in the development process and how that has panned out into stickiness and viral effects. Last but not least, he shares his advice on what it takes to build a software business that cannot be ignored. 
By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why niching down is essential to creating predictable traction. Secondly, that cool is not often valuable and how that hurts adoption. Thirdly, how to go to market even faster and gather critical information to gain an advantage. And fourthly, how adding one simple feature can become an icebreaker in every conversation and that drives word of mouth. Well, hi, Gorish. Thank you for making the time available today and being the guest on the podcast. My pleasure. Yes, it's, you know, people know that I'm always on a hunt for inspiring stories. And when I came across what Sybil is doing, your company, Sybil AI, I immediately had that, okay, this is one of those again, because the podcast is about the value that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And I think this is one of those again, like the sort of an augmentation case. It was a very special one. Actually, for people, well, you know, people that are listening to this podcast can't see it, but Gorish partner has actually joined the call and he or she or it is going to give me some recommendations or likely some, some insights in terms of what my posture is going to be in this call. So I'm sitting right up. But let's get going. Before we start talking about your company, Sybil, a little bit about you. If you would have to describe yourself with two or three characteristics as an entrepreneur, what words would you use? I say I am a hustler. Oh. So I like to get innovative solutions to new problems or things which doesn't seem likely in the near future. But then it's always fun to find a workaround or a solution to those ideas. Nice, perfect characteristics for an entrepreneur. <laughs> to, I mean, is that the only one? Is it just to be also curious or... Well, another thing which I really love to work on is finding the hardest problems to solve. It's like, I just love to tackle whatever is unsolved or whatever is like everyone is facing the problem in. I just love to go ahead and tackle that head on or just see if I can find some workaround, some solution. I guess it ties back to my hustling approach, but it just opens up a unique area where I have found my niche, especially while this journey, in this startup journey, and I love to do this on a daily basis. Well, I mean, that is also one, you know, it's, it's actually it's almost, yeah, I think it's a trait of remarkable software companies that they focus on the essence and solve the hardest problem first without going the easy route and say, okay, let's make a minimum viable product that does the basics and so on. And nobody wants the product. It is. <laughs> or you know, you're I mean, one of many. Well, that. that's the whole thing. You know, how are you going yeah. to stand out? If you do improve something a little bit, you know, Everybody can do that, but kind of taking a radically different approach. And I'm, now I'm really getting really interested in what you're actually building. So that's a nice bridge to your company. So normally I ask, what is the big idea? Possibly I should maybe ask right now, like, what is the revolution you want to create? <laughs> so for us at Sybil, we are basically quantifying human behavior. And that's both verbal and nonverbal behavior. So... Basically, anytime you are in a conversation or you are pitching to an audience, it's really hard to understand how the audience's mental state is changing, even though they are expressing some of that using their verbal and their non-verbal cues, which they're giving up. And as a presenter, if you want to get some sense of like how likely the outcome is going to be, how likely success is going to be with this audience, or what is going right or what is not going right, you really need to understand these behaviors, you need to be aware of these behaviors and analyze them over conversations to figure out, okay, this part of the conversation is not really exciting to my audience. 
And this part is really exciting. People are always nodding and smiling and getting really excited about this. So I need to fine tune my talk track. In humans, especially on a Zoom call, on any kind of remote calls, are really not super great at both of these actually. So we only see a limited set of reactions at one point of time due to the cognitive load. We do far better in person than on Zoom calls. On Zoom calls, you have this problem where a lot of people are just in some small boxes where you can't see them. And then even if you captured some of these reactions, it's something very hard to keep track of them across conversations. Like we don't record them, so it's all in our head and then comes in our own biases and our own context. And we feel that machines are actually well-suited to keep that bias and that context out. And if you could find a way to sort of capture all of these behaviors and quantify them, the machine can do a really amazing job at finding some unique insights from the conversation. Like it's just fantastic on what are the kind of possibilities you can achieve. It's almost like transforming a huge part of the human communication itself. Wow. Well, that's a big one in itself. I like what you say on your website, read the room on Zoom and close more deals. So, I mean, you've typically, of course, taken a use case around revenue, but I can understand also there's going to be far more use cases, but we'll come to that later in terms of why you choose that area and so on. So what is the opportunity if we get this right? You know, if your technology is being adopted by the world, what will the world look different like? If we are able to quantify and track these behaviors, humans can actually level up their conversation. Like they can get signals about their audience's mental state during the call. They can improve their own presentation and their own pitch to effectively take the audience from that point A to point B, which is the objective for most conversations. You want to make sure your audience reaches that end state. And they can understand how likely is the audience to take the desired outcome which is again a huge problem with a lot of failures. For instance, like if sales reps could understand that the prospect is disengaged during the most important section, during the most core offering, they could actually disqualify that call, that prospect far earlier than having to spend a four months or six month sales cycle on them and not being able to get through to those prospects. You could have in marketing these days, companies like Oct are having online conferencing conferences and generating huge amount of like prospect leads. Like you have almost 4,000 leads or 10,000 leads that are generated at these online conferences. If you could quantify how excited they are during when they are hearing conversations, when they are hearing webinars, talks, lectures, could really prioritize those leads from the whole marketing conference. Wow. If internal teams like all apple recently was flagged for revoking work from home policy for their employees which they shared at an all hands if we had been able to quantify the emotions you could figure out the reaction of the employees right after the all hands and having to wait a few more days mm-hmm. to take that proactive step to correct or to inform more about the decision well yeah he writes he writes those are some of the use cases. It, it basically is a way for anyone to present themselves to sell better. And that could be educators, that could be like salespeople, marketers, politicians. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Does it always have to be online? Online is what we're tackling right now. 
There are yeah. a couple of reasons. One is it's really hard in a huge room to understand how your audience is reacting. And I face this problem a lot in my yeah. journey. But the other big benefit of online is it actually makes the AI more accurate because your audience is stationary, you are stationary, the camera is in a very stationary position as opposed to an in-person conference room yeah. where yeah. things take time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Nice. Well, I'm always interested in what sparked it because your company is not that old. It's September 2020 when it started. So what was that moment where it was, okay, we're going to do this. This can't wait. No one is picking this up. We're going to do this. So I used to lecture at Stanford for an engineering course before seven. And so I did that over two quarters. So one was pre-pandemic where I had an in-person classroom and one was post-pandemic. So in the first lecture, post-pandemic, it was on Zoom. And right after the first five minutes of pep talk, I started sharing my screen. And the 20, 25 students who had their videos on were basically disappeared from my Zoom screen. There were two or three left in small two-by-two two boxes on the side. And I'm left there thinking, like, how do I get any feedback from the students? Do I need to stop for questions? Do I need to move forward? What do I need to do on this call itself to understand how my students are thinking about the call? And I faced this problem again and again. At some point, I tried getting my TA involved, teaching assistant, to ask him to look at those faces and provide me that signal. It didn't work out. With humans, it's really tedious to do that repetitive work for two hours. And yeah. so that's where we thought, like we looked outside and we thought there should be an AI to just capture nodding of the head, forget everything else. Like, even if I can capture this, that's good enough for me. And systems are smart enough to do that today. And so yeah, that's exactly. where we started out. We moved away from education because of privacy, because of monetization concerns. And we started exploring out into the market. And what we found was really mind-boggling for us because we saw so many people. And that was the time where Zoom was at its peak. Like, people yeah. were only on video calls. And every industry was facing this problem. In every industry where calls were remote, people were facing. But what we found in sales was really, really unique because salespeople who had been taking remote calls for a while were actually having their managers jump onto the Zoom call itself to do the work which my TA used to do uh, for the reps. Yeah, and so yeah. we found companies like Okta where the manager was on the call and he used to take notes on a participant on the audience, on the key members of the audience, and then share those notes with the reps. And these teams were performing fantastic. Like they were consistently crushing their quota again and again. So that's where like we thought sales would be the key. And there was proven yeah. value that manually someone was taking this stuff. Now this manager can't be everywhere at the same point. So he has to prioritize. But if you can build an AI, that could basically almost virtually double your sales capacity on the sales team. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting use case. And I completely agree with you. You know, there's, there's so much going on in the room. And with Zoom, there's so little going on. And you only see yeah, a couple of shoulders. I mean, I recently had a CEO of Swapcart on the podcast. And he said, you know, the company has been growing quite dramatically from 30 to 230 people in the pandemic. 
And he mm-hmm. said, most of the people that I've hired have never seen before. The only thing I know is that they are, yeah, I mean, the bottom part you never see. I don't know how, how tall they are, <laughs> whether they're skinny <laughs> or fat, whatever. <laughs> and then, of course, there's all these things that are happening yeah, during cold that you don't, yeah, you just don't notice. Interesting. So then you decided to go do this. What I'm always interested in is kind of what is that journey? Because, I mean, your company is currently around 17 people already in size. So I ex- expect that there is also some traction with regards to, yeah, there's a product, there's customers, things are moving up. But in a period of two years' time, to come to a point where you start to show product market fit, it's quite remarkable in itself. What has been a decision that appeared to be super important in that journey? So when we first started out, we basically wanted to mimic IT experience. So we wanted to provide real-time insights on the call. And we thought if we had some kind of dashboard, which could on the call itself provide when someone is engaged or when someone is distracted, that would be super amazing, like an Jarvis or an AI. But what we realized in the first few months was people were getting distracted by the notifications that you could provide. So if I'm speaking and something just came up on the site, I am going to lose my thread of conversation. And we eventually made a very, very hard call to shift from that real-time insights to providing these insights post-meeting. And that became one of the big changes because with my background as an engineer and my team's background, primarily coming from a very strong technical domains, like that real-time thing was really, really cool. And it was hard to do, but it was not what the customers wanted. And so as we talked around, we decided that we will shift to a post-meeting insights framework where after the call, we'll tell you how your audience behaved. And that became far more valuable, like from the long-term perspective. Let me make a small interruption here. Goris just made a critical remark about one of those critical product strategy defining moments making the tough decision to surrender cool for value. We're so often obsessed with what technology can do and the everything in real time hype is just an example. What Sybil realized and was willing to act upon was user feedback. And that helped them to arrive at a track that was far more valuable, both for their customers as well as for them. It's a trait that remarkable software companies master. They're driven by curiosity and then connect the dots to bring their insights to the essence and then create new value possibilities that customers could not live without. You can master these traits as well. And the first step, simply read my book. I've made the electronic version available for free. Just go to theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will start within the first 10 minutes. Back to the interview. Yeah, it's interesting how sometimes real time can be super beneficial and otherwise it can actually distract i was actually thinking about it if i would get like a red alert that the people that i'm interviewing here for example you today you're just not engaged possibly you would get worse (laughs) because it's like so what do i do next how do i get this kind of thing back on track and then yeah that could even be worse yeah that's interesting feedback so that was yeah through the iterations with people and so we're sort of doing the a b testing in order to understand that was was initially the dream, wasn't the dream at all. (laughs) Yeah, we had a beta product out, which a few customers tried out. And then we did some Wizard of Oz experiments where we as the humans sat behind the back and gave them alerts to see how they reacted to those. It was not great. Yeah, I understand. 
I mean, going back to the use case, because like we said, there's so many different use cases you can think of. Like, why did you end up specifically with sales? Oh, with sales, the biggest benefit is that the kind of value we can provide is really huge. So you can tell the sales team about how their performance is on these calls, and you can help them understand how their prospects are thinking. Sales reps usually have a big issue with happier syndrome. So they will always hear the positive things, whereas the negatives are not taken into account. And so if you give them a real, a clear indication of, okay, this person was not really engaged during your demo. So even if he or she said that great leads to a next call, there is a very small likelihood that the next call will actually happen. And that helps save time and energy that can actually be put into more prominentes, more prioritizations. So yeah. I have a philosophy where I feel, and this is something I've learned over the course of my startup career, is we want to ruthlessly prioritize our tasks. And with sales, salespeople don't want to let go. They want to keep pursuing the same things True. and they want to pursue them again and again. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, so that's what we help them do where we want to tell them, okay, this is really the likelihood of this deal closing. And so based on what we see and what we hear. And so if you want to focus on this, that will take away time from your other deals, which you can spend more effectively on. Yeah. I mean, what I typically say, of course, is that the bulk of the pipeline are deals that are completely stuck. And we always yeah. kind of mention to us, yeah, but next month they will come. If all the signals are like already red, like, yeah, let go. It gives them focus a push. On the ones. Yeah, it is. I think that's human. And also at some point I've been so long on this. Now I'm going to make sure that this deal happens. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's against your own. Yeah. Keep yourself sane in this. In that whole process, we first of all talked about like what appeared to be a really important decision, which was that shift. On the other end, on the technology side, possibly, what has been the hardest nut to crack here? Has it been product strategy type? Yeah, go ahead. It's something we're still working on. It's basically how do we quantify behaviors across a wide, wide variety of human psychology? Like every human is different from the next one. And we want to ensure we are not categorizing all humans as one. So for example, someone could be a very big nodder whereas other people could be sitting silently for hours before making a single nod. And that nod would justify like their silence because that's like some at a place where they're really, really excited. As when I started out, I was like nodding all the time when I'm paying attention, when I'm not paying attention, just to indicate to the other person, okay, there's something going on over here. <laughs> and Something we're trying to do with our technology is basically personalize it to every individual that we see on the call. And that personalization will help improve the accuracy to a whole another level because then you can really understand which of these behaviors, which of the cues are actually relevant and which are more like filler areas or filler holes. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting how different people would kind of, yeah, not behave. <laughs> and that is, yeah, introverts, extroverts, and even like people behave differently on Zoom calls versus in a real meeting, interestingly enough. And I've seen that happening yep. as well. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
you might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Yeah, what if in a counterintuitive lesson that you learned that at the end made the difference for where you are right now? I think this whole shift from a real time to a post meeting yeah. was a huge counterintuitive. From the startup journey side, what we felt earlier, so we have an office in India, so a big part of our team is working from there. And something I didn't realize and in the early days was how hard it is to work with a 12-hour time zone gap. And so if you have, like, it messes up the schedule. And so that was a big thing which we learned across the whole journey, our own startup journey, on how we need to manage our time and our schedules more effectively because it's not going to be an easy ride with a huge 12-hour time zone gap. So tell me where you are right now. I mean, the product is available. You get customers. What have you learned in that first period of selling the solution? We need to get the product out there as soon as possible. We had a time where we were just, where we had basically Google Forms out there. And so people used to record their calls through Zoom link. And they used to send that link to us on the Google Form and used to manually process it and send the meeting report. And that was a huge way for us to, without building the entire infrastructure, how do we get users or how do we provide the value to the users right then and there, as opposed to waiting six months or eight months before building that entire pipeline and things improved. So now we actually join automatically join all calls, even if you're on Zoom, but at the first iteration, it was simply a Google form where you had to put in your Zoom link, the download uh-huh. Zoom link, and we used to manually process it half of the time. So you do need to get your product out there as soon as possible because a lot of the hypotheses which you feel are relevant and are the most important hypotheses in the world are actually not useful to your users. And something else totally entirely different would turn out to be far more relevant, far more practical and valuable. So we used to provide sentences of engagement and disengagement like these are the sentences where your prospects are getting engaged and these are where they are getting disengaged and what we found out was this was really hard for a user to pass through no one is going to go through that entire transcript okay and then we shifted to providing a time graph so now we provide an emotional journey so this is how the engagement is changing across time without references to the sentences directly So that's much more easier to pass through and much more helpful to the users who can use it and make it actionable. And we made a lot of iterations over time with respect to our core insights. Cool. Yeah, it's so common, but we always sort of forget. We think we got it right to start building and we believe that this is the best thing since sliced bread. (laughs) We get a tick on our nose, of course. (laughs) So what you learned selling that was that what has been that thing that you changed? Was there one thing that became a catalyst or is it just a whole range of things after a long time? It's a series of additional 
areas that we added into the product. So now our report is far more comprehensive and people are basically using it daily after every call. Like we see almost 50 to 60% of the calls getting reviewed, which means people are going back to those calls and that's a really high number. And that number was 5% at some point. And over the last eight months, it has grown from 5% to 60%. And that has been a series of updates that we have made. Yeah. And I mean, the question is, of course, that may possibly the 40% that are not analyzing are calls with their boss or (laughs) someone someone they don't sell to. But that's, yeah. I mean, so do you see from your users that it sort of creates a viral effect whereby salespeople pinch each other and say, you need to look at this? Yeah, every time you have your partner on the call, so there's always an initial discussion at the start. So one of my users actually named this partner as his first name, sucks at taking notes, so he bought this call partner to do it for him. And those kind of like very unique names and very innovative discussions at the start, they basically, like for them, it's like an icebreaker or a conversation starter. What's this partner? Who is this? What do they do? What's the company? And we get free marketing because of that. Like we have like this person specifically bought almost 25 clients to Sybil as an individual. And that's like the kind of virality it adds in with. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's why I wrote the book, The Remarkable Effect, because once this is happening, when people start making a remark about it, you cannot market against that. It's as simple as that. But it's, it's cool how, yeah, what drives that type of, yeah, what drives the conversation. I've actually had one person on my call who actually sold his company to Remax at some point in time in the real estate business, that he had a product that was antiviral. The customers wouldn't talk about it to anyone else <laughs> because it was their secret. <laughs> so, <laughs> they want to guard it against. <laughs> exactly, want- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do people, of course, I mean, I saw Gorish partner enter the call as well, but do people object against that? It's, hey, wait a minute, things are being noted here and like, it's going to watch me. <laughs> so that they so object against two, that? We do have 2% of users uh, of calls where Sybil is dropped because people are not comfortable with recording in sensitive areas. It could be corporate, like defense, yeah. finance, banks usually don't want to record their calls. And so we do provide an easy option for you to take out Sybil after the initial notification that the call is being recorded is happening. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, that's of course, you have to respect that. But I like it. It's indeed one of the ways you can do what you can do with your product to create a talk trigger is doing something like this. It's really beneficial. So is this your first startup, by the way? This is my first start. Yeah, because we first come from Stanford this. before that. In the two years of experience right now, almost two years, it's like I said, I made a reference to my book, The Remarkable Effect, already where I've, yeah, my passion goes to what defines those companies that we start talking about at some point and we actually keep talking about, particularly B2B software companies. What would you see or highlight as one or two things that you need to have in order to become such a company? For us, the most important asset in our company is basically the people, the team that we have put together. Like, It's really hard to get a great team going, but when you have a great team, things become far more easier you can focus on the right things and you can leave it to others to do the work correctly and to build that sort of connection and that trust. And so a lot of our team comes from our first connections. 
is basically our friends and families and almost our brothers and sisters like working together to get this out and that has been a huge learning on how important the culture and the trust building and that relationship is to the early days of a startup like there are so many things going on if you get this piece right everything else will fall into place that has yeah. been a huge huge thing for us to get and we do feel like if you are successful this is what will this is what will stay and this is what will continue growing and make that big gap the question i mean there's always this thing okay i hear so many times the people and i completely agree with that is there anything else that is required in order to create that glue that magic between the team like how do you mean yeah i mean like one of the things that i hear a lot is like there needs to be mutual trust there needs to be you know alignment so that like avoid the silos and of course in a sign a startup that is super simple to do because it starts small the other thing that i hear a lot is you know the importance of having a very compelling vision where everybody aligns and rallies against is there anything that you believe is super important to make the glue the glue and that is create magic that it creates sort of a 1 plus 1 equals 3 type of effect yeah. so trust is a huge factor and that the kind of trust so we are very close knitted together like our team meets every day to discuss the key problems and key challenges and so trust plays a huge role the other big aspect for us is like if we are able to get this done if we are really able to quantify human behavior it can transform the entire freaking human communication and like sales is the perfect wedge for us for so many different reasons and targeting revenue is great because companies will pay for that but like this behavior and its quantification has been missing from the world like until now like now we have an opportunity with all of this communication moving remote we actually have an opportunity to understand how the human brain works and how it represents that communication in form of your verbal and nonverbal behavior and yeah. that keeps the team really excited about the possibilities even in the early days where you are almost living at like minimum wages and all of that but getting that like if we are able to crack this code yeah that's like game changing um, yeah but well, that is possibly not even the vision but it's also like the complexity of the task like you said in the beginning you know the hustler mentality solving the hardest problem and this is not an easy one to crack but definitely a very rewarding one if you crack it fascinating so one of the things that i have a lot of discussions around is this whole thing of creating traction you know where things start to go and suddenly it starts to take off what is one thing that you learned around yeah cracking mm. the traction code <laughs> so we need to keep talking to users continuously and we need to keep exploring what their problems are and how they are feeling and how they are using the product and that i felt was missing in early days where we have been like we have been in our own bubble but once we made that real time shift and then we went from that google forms to an actual like product experience we started a lot of user discussions like really a lot and our users became our actual champions because they knew they were being heard they knew their problems were being continuously solved and they started to market our product for us we haven't spent a lot of marketing on dollars it's almost negligible at this point but our users 
our inbound referral growth has been more than 80% of our business where wow. our users are going out there and they are the ones who are talking about civil to like everyone in their network. Like we have seen husbands referring civil to their wives and vice versa happening in multiple cases. Like when that happens, yeah. that's fantastic. It is, you know, it's possibly the hardest thing to do, but yeah, the most important thing to look after, like how can we get people to talk about our product in a way that yeah, drives that philosophy again? What has been a real big obstacle that you had to solve that you had to overcome in the last two years? A remote work, I guess, has been a huge <laughs> <Yeah>. challenge. <laughs> That's something we have basically become far more comfortable with when we started out. And this is pure pandemic time. So everything was remote and managing expectations aligning everyone, creating that common channels of communication regularly was really hard. And we, with experiments with a lot of iterations, like we used to do weekly retroactives to understand what's going right, what's not going right, and yeah. get the team on the same page because there are so many components and everyone, it's a really amazing thing. But focusing on that specific areas, those specific milestones is really important. Yeah. And with remote, it becomes even more harder to do so. Exactly. And so that's what we have been focusing on. Yeah, that's of course also, that's where you can use your own tool to also look what's really going on behind the scenes. <laughs> but yeah, I completely agree with you. And I'm currently writing my second book, which is about the resilience and then how can you not only bounce back from adversity, but actually create a stronger company. But you created your whole company during the pandemic. So that it's like, this is the norm. <laughs> and of course, hoping for everybody that the volume of Zoom calls will and Google Meets and all of these virtual calls will remain as high as it is. Because I see the notion again that people want to go back to this face-to-face -face thing. But I do believe there's a future that is going to be yeah, the hybrid part. If you could wind back the clock, looking at your business today versus when it started well, yeah what would you do different next time or what has been a regret today there have not been many regrets or any regrets okay. there have been learnings on the way for sure we sure. have failed tremendously in many areas like and that might even be making it sound better than it is so <laughs> <laughs> so there have been crazy amount of learnings like as first time founders the part about processes, the part about how to organize things have been sort of learned for the first time. And our team is young. Our team is like really hungry to grow and hungry to learn. And that's what makes it so good in a new complex area. But that also means that some of the things which humans have tried out, we need to, and learned from their experiences, we need to get from books or from other people and just talking and networking and just learning from a whole bunch of our advisors, our network. And like those learnings have shaped the way we have defined our culture today. And so I'd say I have any regrets. This is where I want to be. And I believe a lot of the team is really feels the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can definitely feel that vibe from talking to you. And uh, I mean, no one on the call can, of course, see your face, but there's a big smile on it. So it's, it's honest <laughs> and genuine. I'm not going to ask you what you're most proud of because I know what it is. And it, I mean, I would be proud of that as well. You know, the momentum that you're getting there and people talking about it. 
from the lessons that you've learned and the many mistakes that you possibly have made, and we all do, what would be a do and what would be a don't that you would give as advice to aspiring CEOs, B2B for CEOs, or people that actually want to make a shift and yeah, change for the better? It's always important to remember that it's not a short journey. It's not like one year, two years at tops, and then you get out and you do something else. It's really a 10, 12 years of marriage that you're getting in together with everyone. And that I really mean everyone, like your team, your network, your advisors, your investors. And it's important to continue building those relationships. It's sometimes very easy to miss that in the thick of things. So that's a really, that's something I wish I would have known two years earlier on yeah. how like it takes time to get there. You're building something from scratch. You're building something new that requires putting in those hours, putting in that effort and putting in like nurturing those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get all these stories of, okay, I'm going to start this right now. And in three years time, I'm going to make an exit. Right. You know, based on what? And I mean, product market fit is something that you cannot plan for, you know? Suddenly it's there. And mm-hmm. like what you're saying is, okay, it's there, not because of what we thought was product market fit. It's the exact opposite. All right. You should exit yeah, I mean, because you uh, want to rather than you have to. And that's a successful exit. Yeah, that's true. And that takes some time. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a big audience there. If they could help you, what would be your ask? How could the audience yeah, be of value to you? So we are starting providing solutions to the sales teams where they can get analytics on how their narrative is doing with their customers, with their prospects, and how different salespeople are pitching to their customers and what's working and what's not working. So for that, if anyone listening out there is within an organization where they know the sales enablement people or the revenue ops people, and they could connect us or if the team is interested in improving their own narrative on how they are pitching to their customers, you should go onto the website, either sign up for the product or book a meeting with me and experience what this new technology can do for the team and the kind of insights. Like that's, I would say the most important. Thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure that's a couple of people will jump on this because I mean, I know a lot of people that are in the sales space and they're always looking for the, yeah, their next advantage. Very well. So, but yeah, talking about that, go to our website. What is the website? And yeah, well, how can they reach out to you to say hi? So it's sybil.ai, S-Y-B-I-L-L dot A-I. And they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. So my profile name is Gorish, G-O-R-I-S-H, Agarwal. Gorish is pretty unique, so I'm pretty sure you'll find it like easily. Well, thank you very much, Gorish. Exactly. Well, that's what people are going to do. Thanks very much for this. I like the story. I like, yeah, thanks for picking this up as an area of innovation because I think it's hugely valuable. Starting in the sales space, I'm really eager to see where this can go next. Thanks for sharing the lessons that you've learned and the wisdom that you gained from that. And I'll keep an eye on you in the company in the future. Thank you so much, John. It was really a pleasure. It's awesome talking. The pleasure was mine. Thanks. And this ends my conversation with Gorish. And I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Gorish Agarwal, co-founder and CEO of Sybil. As said, 
The goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.